Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I don't know about you, but when I read about giftedness, the talents God has given us to use and to multiply, it's been a bit of a head-scratcher for me. Figuring out how to serve, how God is asking me to give back, is no small task. And it doesn't help that I've spent my life thinking my gifts don't matter because I can't sing or dance. Babies cry and dogs howl when I sing, and when I dance, people think I'm kidding. As I've prayed through finding my purpose, I've started to hear back that my biggest talents aren't things to do on a stage, but my most important talents are the people I'm surrounding myself with, that God has put in front of me to love. I've come to believe that my biggest talents are my friendships. My biggest talent is you, the women in my life. There was an empirical study done worldwide over six continents, a study done in multiple languages, many different kinds of churches, state-run, small, large, mega. And you know what it found? It found that Christians were most content when they were utilizing their gifts. No factor influences the contentedness of Christians more than when they are utilizing their God-given gift. Listen, there is something that speaks to you. There is something that makes your heart stir, burn within you. There is something that when you experience it, it makes you feel alive. What is it? Is it music? Is it dance? Is it football? Is it exploring the woods? Is it reading a book? Is it holding a baby? Is it cooking something delicious? Is it writing something you like? Is it taking a picture? Is it playing with numbers? Is it solving a problem? Is it leading a meeting? That thing that we can't name except to call it an inner tug. An inner tug that lets us know for certain that there is more. There is more to this life. Where do you feel it? What are you doing when you feel it? Because I'd like to offer you this. God put it there. And when we acknowledge that stirring, that burning within us, we recognize God. So do you long to shake loose from the demands of this world? Do you long to be free from mere duty-driven Christianity and do what you love to do because what you love to do is what you ought to do? Do you long to offer up your whole self as a living sacrifice so that your day-to-day becomes a spiritual act of worship? Then with all of our might, let's acknowledge the burning within our hearts and turn it over to the Lord and then do that thing with Him. Because this life, friends, it's about moving with God, being who he created us to be. It's how living life is going to be the most joyful if we follow that stirring, that burn. And if we let a Holy Spirit take us by the hand, the possibilities are endless. If we bring him along with us as we chase what he has gifted us to do. Recognizing that stirring in our hearts, letting it lead us well, and then using it to live on purpose with God. Now... Is that going to end in effortless relationships? Probably not. Is that going to mean that our bank accounts look the way that we would like? Probably not. Is that going to mean that all of our kids will behave appropriately? Probably not. But recognizing that stirring in our hearts, it might not accomplish any of those things, but it is how we're going to get a kick out of life. It's how we're going to live fully alive. And if I were your enemy... Do you want to know what I would do? I would try to convince you that you don't have any gifts. That God left you out when he was passing them out. And if that didn't work, and you thought you might have something special to offer, then I would try to convince you that you don't do it well enough, or that you need permission to do it. Or here's a good one. I would try to convince you that doing it, whatever it is, is self-indulgent. I would try to convince you that your offering isn't worth much. 
And the voice that I would plant in the back of your head, it would say, who do you think you are? It would say, you're an imposter here. It would say, you don't belong with all of these other people who are actually gifted. As an enemy, I would try to convince you that your God was most interested in your outsides, how well you keep in line. I would try to convince you that he didn't care about what sets your heart on fire. I would try to convince you that holiness was drudgery and that obedience was boring, and I would try to separate out what you are passionate about from your pursuit of the Lord. What a win that would be if I were your enemy. And it's all lies. You're a masterpiece poem, and everything about you was written on purpose, and our God delights in you and what sets your heart on fire. He put it there, and you have permission, and he longs for you to do that thing, and he longs to do it with you, And I'm not sure that there's much more to life than just this. For the longest time, the biggest thing that got in my way regarding pursuing my passions and living fully on purpose was this messed up idea that I wasn't special or that other people were more special and that even if I was special, I wasn't special enough. Can't we all relate to this? I work closely with college seniors and these girls with the rest of their lives ahead of them and seemingly resting on that one decision that they make that semester, the one big God-sized mountain. Looking up at it, it paralyzes them. They're afraid of making a wrong decision. They're afraid of climbing the wrong mountain. And so they question their own judgment and they measure their own steps and they stare at the peak of the mountain that they desire to conquer and they become overwhelmed by fear and insecurity. Do they have what it takes? and a panicky stagnation sets in. I was leading a Bible study, and afterwards a college girl had asked to stay. The crowd dissipated, and it was just she and I over an empty plate of cookie crumbs. She fumbled for words before just blurting out, There's no other way to put it, but God just didn't make me special, she said. And I'm pretty upset with him about it. I don't have any talents. I don't have any gifts. Nothing makes me stand out. I'm average, and I am so tired of being average. As I was listening to her, I conjured up the emotions that she was describing. I knew exactly the feelings that she outlined. My heart remembered and went out to her. In fact, I remembered so vividly that I forgot I was there to be a mentor instead of a friend-tor. I nodded with her, and I empathized, and I got lost in her feelings before remembering that I really should be offering some wisdom. Quite frequently, the girls will ask me something and I'll have a moment realizing I'm expected to have an answer. When these moments happen, I do the only thing I can do and pray, Come Holy Spirit. And not once have I been left stammering on my own. When I snapped out of the familiar feelings of mediocrity and prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, I found myself re-centered and able to speak, and this is what came out. I know what you mean, I said. I've had that exact feeling. And you described it so well, and I know it so well, that for a moment I was actually lost in remembering how bland it feels. And you know what? I don't feel that way anymore. And now that you've made me analyze it, I know why. You are why I don't feel that way anymore. This moment, these conversations, those girls that just left, I am not average. And honey, God is tired of you feeling average. He certainly didn't make you that way. And I think it's possible that you're spending too much time looking for a grandiose way to make an impact. And that's not how impact works. Enough with the impact. Because I guarantee you that there was someone around you today who needed something only you could give. Who was it? Quit looking to the top of that mountain and look beside you. Because when we serve using our gifts, we will recognize God's great calling for us, and there isn't a better feeling than being used by him. There's just nothing average about it. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a mystifying little parable about a man who mismanaged his master's money, and then he got caught, and he was promptly fired. Right after being fired, the man calls in his boss's debtors, and he starts slashing their debts in order to be welcomed into their homes. Since now he was jobless, he could probably use a few friends. So he says, you, what do you owe? 900 gallons? Make it 450. When his boss hears of this, he commends 
the unrighteous manager, because he had acted shrewdly. Isn't this baffling? The manager of the rich man's money, upon realizing he's about to become jobless and homeless, hatches a devious plan to take care of himself because he's not willing to do manual labor and is too proud to beg. And then he's commended. This guy, he was sneaky. He was lazy. He was cunning. Let's face it, he was a hustler. Was Jesus really commending dishonesty? I've read many different explanations of the parable of the rich man and the shrewd manager, and I can't wait to sit at God's feet one day and know what it all means for sure. But I'll tell you that when I think of this parable and when I think of my college girl standing there paralyzed, the message that came to me from this story was about shrewdness. It was about being shrewd with our love, using our gifts given to us by our Lord and then using them shrewdly the air quote money that the master trusts us with, pouring it out lavishly, generous with what we have at our disposal, generous with our master's gifts that he trusts us with, and then using them to win favor, shrewd with a kingdom currency. Because shrewdness is about response and response is about action. And action isn't sitting around flailing my hand in the air waiting to be called on to use my gifts. I've already been called on. And so the waiting and the flailing and the analysis and the paralysis and the desire for grandiosity, the fear, they have often kept me from my climb. But I am beginning to understand with my heart that all the riches that I manage are only in my possession because of a master. And if I can understand that my gifts don't belong to me and weren't even necessarily for my benefit, what if I finally got that my gifts were actually given to me for the benefit of others? My gifts, are they on purpose? Are they for someone else? Could it really be true? We are here for just a moment, but that moment, how we spend it, it has eternal significance. And God wants to spend it with us. He wants us to get a kick out of life. And this is God's story. And our seemingly small story, our gifts, our passions, even our pain, are a part of that larger story when we are living with God. From the book of Psalms, my heart exalts the Lord, and with my song, I give thanks to Him. This is my friend Annie. We've been friends for 23 years. Annie spreads beauty and the good news wherever she goes. Her spirit is free, and her heart exalts the Lord. Annie, hi! (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. This episode, like, we have worked so hard for this. It's been a long time coming. Annie, I have wanted to have you on forever on the topic of creativity and spiritual gifting and talents. When I when I sit and think about creativity, you are so quick to come to my mind because you are simply one of the most creative people I know. We have known each other for a really long time, and that has always been like the foot you lead with is just creating and finding beauty in this world. Um, And then if it's not there creating it, and I just absolutely love you for it. This episode has been on my heart. Um, You have a giant heart. You're completely creative. And those things are tied for my very favorite things about you. And then you combine them. And then it's like, watch out world, your heart plus your uh, creativity. Oh my gosh. Um, I love the way you see things. I love the way um, you just shine light everywhere you go. You just walk around making everything more beautiful. And I want to tell this one story about you creatively, and then I'm going to quit talking for a second and let you talk. Um, but we were, you had come to my house. It was just a couple of years ago. And at the time we were in a house that it was a beautiful home, but it it didn't really, um, it was hard for me to decorate. It didn't really suit me. It wasn't my style. And it was the kind of this big Mediterranean type home. There was lots of warm colors with the orange satio floors. And I just, I couldn't really make it work for me. And, um, I don't know, I guess I was kind of complaining a little bit and, um, you, we were sitting on a couch, we were both under a blanket. You had your phone out for some reason. I feel like we were in costume. 
Oh, so mustaches. We had on mustaches, <laughs> and and you were flipping through your phone, and you were like, just touch it if you tap it if you like it, and you had gotten on Pinterest, and you were trying to help me um, not be cognitive about what made my heart happy. You were like, just touch it if you like it. And I'd be like, but, and she, you're like, stop it. Do you like it? Touch it. And then scroll on, scroll on, scroll on. And I know that this sounds like a simple thing, but I think what I admired about that so much was the freedom. Like you really taught me something that day. You weren't teaching me to be creative. I mean, I'm, I'm already creative, but you were teaching me how to let myself be creative, the freedom in it. And I think it's such an important component of creativity. I mean, isn't that just it, the freedom? Um, so anyways, you're a total mentor for me in this area of my life. And it's a big area of my life. So I love the way that you're living life and loving people. Hi, Annie. Welcome to the show. <laughs> you know, thank you for having me. I feel like you're way more creative than me, especially oh. with the words and using them and being able to communicate them because that is not my gift but um I can do a gallery wall but (laughs) (laughs) a table and put together an outfit Uh, I don't know about that but I do enjoy making (laughs) that's fun but I'm excited to be here I don't know I'm excited to be here. I don't know what I'll have to offer, but hopefully it'll it'll touch someone's heart. So, Oh, I don't have any doubt about that. So Annie, as, um, I just feel like you are this visual artist, you know, you paint, you decorate, um, you, you know, put things together. Um, when do you first remember feeling, like a, like a creative person, when did you notice that about yourself that maybe that was something different about you? Um, probably in high school, <clears throat> I took a art class. Cause you know, you always have to take certain classes and then finally like your senior year, you get to take a fluff and I took an art class And I remember thinking, I really, really like this. And I was also started making some of my own clothes at the time. And I just knew we were making a belt and hot gluing flowers on it. Uh, And I like cut a pair of boots from Walmart and I did some weird stuff. And I'm thinking like, this is not the everybody, this is not everybody else. And so, um, and those same pieces I ended up making my senior year are some of the same pieces that I first sold at A&M. So that was probably the first time that I was like, oh, maybe this could be something fun. But I don't ever think I was like going to do it full time. So it was yeah. just for fun. Yeah. But I grew up with my mom always making something. Like there was never a time when she's not thinking up something. So growing up with that and then plus I had a grandmother who was extremely, um, she loved to draw and paint. She, I don't know if she was any good, but she just created that space for herself to do it and enjoy it, which I really appreciated because as a mom now to think that I have a, to carve out a space just for me to do those things is quite sacred. I feel like so. I've had, um, you know, I've really wrestled with the word um, artist, not because I didn't like that word. It's because I loved that word. And I I would love to attribute that word to myself. But um, I guess for a long time, I felt like an imposter um, trying to call myself an artist. And I read somewhere that the only difference between someone who calls themselves an artist and someone who doesn't is audacity. Like, yes. do you have the audacity to just call yourself that? Because we are in one way or another. And I, it, you know, in the beginning of my book, Rock, Paper, Scissors, I spent the whole, like, first five paragraphs talking about how, well, I'm not a writer. Okay, be quiet. Like, what? <laughs> and so I, I, I've really struggled with, with who I am creatively and just in naming it what it is. And so do you struggle with calling yourself an artist? How did you get there? If you don't, why do people have a hard time with this? Yes. Because you always feel like you're not good enough. Right. Yes. Because there's always going to be someone that's better than you or, 
and at first it was unless unless I can sell it or unless I can make it okay in this world, unless it's pretty enough for this world to put on someone's wall or put on someone's ears or then it, then I'm not an artist. And I felt like I could, I was never, there's always someone out there that's going to be better than you. I, could, I would get on Etsy or Pinterest once Pinterest came along and say, Oh, that that's so much better. And, or they went to school for that or that, you know, there's so much more, um, educated in that realm. And more so more people are seeing it, more people are appreciating it. Yeah. So I think for me, it's a getting over the, am I good enough? Can I do this? Am I, and part of it is definitely a vulnerability because when you do any kind of art, you pour a certain piece of yourself into it. And that is extremely scary. Yeah. Cause I know, I mean, you're writing, I feel like takes a huge piece of yourself and then you're always, you put, I feel like anytime I put my stuff out there, I feel like I'm like taking a little piece of my heart and putting it out there on a platter. Like, are you going to take it and like it or not? Mm -hmm. And are you going to pick it up and appreciate it or not? Yeah. And I, I feel like my own personal booby trap. (laughs) (laughs) Booty traps. That's what I said. I feel like my own personal booby trap is attributing my work is connecting my self-worth to what other people are thinking about me. Absolutely. I have, that is not a lesson that's like over once it's over. I am constantly having to revisit that. Me too. Well, yes, I'm a, (laughs) I'm a people pleaser. And so, and I have really struggled with performance based love and so, yes, I can, I can agree with that for sure. But, well, you know, one thing you, you kind of, you touched on as far as, you know, things that, that might, or components that might keep people from saying, no, I'm, I am an artist is yes. you know, how many people are seeing it or appreciating it. Are they getting paid for it? Whatever. So you might have very seen work and congratulations. That's, that's amazing. But you might have unseen work and that is not whether it's seen or unseen is not determinant of if you are an artist or not, but what is, is the process. So I think that we as a culture can get really focused on outcomes. You know, what, what is this going to look like once it's done? What are people going to think about this once it's done? No. What about as you're, how do you feel as you're doing it? Because, you enter into that intimate space, you know, between you and the Holy spirit, between you and who you were created to be. And so really I've had to kind of concentrate on process, not outcomes. And for me, the podcast is the first time that I've ever been like, I don't really care if people like it or not. You know, um, I love doing it, you know, writing for me, speaking for me, um, it's a discipline. It's hard. It's really, really hard for me to do. And this feels so natural and so easy that for the first time I'm like, ah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yes. I think the process, I completely agree with you. I think the process is super telling of what's going on in your heart because then you are quiet, then you are vulnerable, then you unravel this onion that's going on inside of you. Yeah. And it- reveal these new things that are going on and you're like I never knew I could do this I never knew I liked this I never knew all these new things about yourself that you just never knew were possible right right um and I think a lot of people who think well I'm just not creative or I just can't do this are usually afraid of failure and they don't want to put themselves out there to try it and so that is a that sometimes it's really scary Yeah. Um, you know, as I know, you know, you are a teacher and you work with, um, marginalized students at risk students and you are such a a mentor, um, for them. I know that they come to you and share their lives and their hearts and, um, you are absolutely in ministry. And so I am also in ministry and women will come up to me afterwards after a, you know, a speaking engagement or whatever. And everybody wants to know their purpose. Oh you know, yeah. 
body is holding this life going, what am I supposed to do with it? So that it's a question that, that I get a lot and I'm sure you do too, which is what am I supposed to do? And so, um, because creativity has been such a freeing part of my life and in a way that I feel really connected to God, I'm always kind of trying to point people to their creative self. How do you point people to their creative self? Um, I usually don't, my, well, I teach mostly, um, a lot of high schoolers who are addicted to drugs and are felons. And so mostly I am trying to find their place of things that they love outside of drugs. Right. So, um, I last year started watercoloring with some of them in like the last hour of the day. And it was so fun because I had never watercolored before. And I took like one of my kids' little sets and people started asking me to do it with me because it was so relaxing and And we would do it on index cards. And even the boy, I teach mainly males. Mm -hmm. And so it just opened up new conversations and new things. And ultimately, I don't necessarily am showing them um, ways to be creative in their life, but just it's okay to mess up and we can toss it, but it opens up. I feel like creativity opens up ways just to have conversations. And we mainly just talk about what are things that you actually love? What are ways that you can fill your cup instead of these illegal substances or. Well, and get the high. I mean, when you, when you make something, out of nothing there that you enjoy like there's a high involved right (laughs) and I have just a few girls every once in a while and they'll be like this is amazing and then they get totally into it and so um and we will pull up like Pinterest or whatever and pull up inspiration pages but um oh my gosh I totally lost track of your initial question oh no that's okay no that's perfect um you know one thing that when you know, I, I, I love helping people find their gifts. I think one of my gifts is helping people find their gifts. Like, I don't know what that gift is, but I simply love it. But um, <laughs> yes, my, my favorite, like leading questions is, is there anything that if you haven't done it in a while, you start to get a little grumpy, you know? And for my husband, like if he hasn't run gone on a run in a while, he's becomes a little like to live with. Um, yeah. my mom needs to decorate something. I need to sit and be alone and read and write. Um, and if I don't do that, it feels like there's a cat clawing to get out. My best friend needs to be in her kitchen and, and cook something delicious. My spiritual director needs to plant something. So, you know, there's all these things that, that kind of take us back to a peaceful place. And in that way, creativity is peaceful. And when I think about your students and their substance abuse or whatever, I mean, at the root of substance abuse, isn't it always like, I just need to feel different. And for some of them, it's, I need, um, to just numb it. Check out. Right. Yes. And it's a way for them just to be like done. And so for a lot of them, painting is like a healing process because I had they're doing it's like just an art therapy little session and we just sit there and paint and then we end up talking about weird stuff and so um yes it's going to be such a powerful memory for them as they live their lives and yeah I mean what a neat thing to attach uh, peaceful feelings to like I remember feeling peaceful with my teacher while (laughs) you know don't really like it but um (laughs) Students really love it. So I, yeah, some of the other, cause it's a behavioral unit. So they're like, what you're painting? What? This isn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be that general, and I'm over there, you know, finger painting, but not really, but you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mercy, 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 mercy. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. Um, you know, another thing that you know, as far as like help, you know, pointing people to the things that they love, because I feel like so much of kind of remembering or discovering that thing, um, that, that makes us happy or that makes us feel peaceful or that is a healthy way to check out. I feel like so much of discovering that is actually a rediscovery. You know, it's kind of going back to when we were little and like, 
you know, kind of excavating these buried dreams of what did you love when you were little? You know, what did you love before anyone told you that it was silly or that, or that you were, were bad at it or, you know, that it didn't matter. How much of creativity do you think is kind of returning to? Yes, I totally agree with that because my boys have a, a um, teacher in their elementary school art that tells them all the time that they do bad work and I want to punch them in the throat because wow. like, can you be an elementary school art teacher and tell them they're doing crap? And so wow. I always think about um, like just the freedom when you're little um, to just do art. You know how you always see these um, – you see videos all the time about the difference of an adult brain and a child brain and how children are just so much broader and they can think way outside the box. And then we as adults kind of compartmentalize it. And so part of it is just to let it be free and to be vulnerable in it and just to let it all go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so as far as, you know, pointing people to their inner artist, it's, taking them back, you know, to being young again and kind of releasing expectation. It's, um, being in such a safe environment that you create where it's okay to be bad at watercoloring. It's really just about this moment in time, you know? And, um, so, so there are these, there are these things, or, you know, if you haven't done it in a while, you get grumpy, you know, there are these indicators, there are these ways to, to point people, you know, to what it is that makes them feel free. Um, What's, what are some other ways that we can kind of point people to there? Um, I think lots of times people see, I know, especially with my students, they'll see my little outer package and they think that everything's perfect or they'll see my outfit or they see my classroom. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so glossy and pretty and, and they don't know the steps that went in or the story that went in to get there. Right. 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 I talked to them about, okay, you know, this is how you get there. So we have the conversations as far as what is the life that you want in a year? What is the life you want in five years? Okay. What steps are we going to take to get there? What does your apartment look like? What does your bedroom look like? What does your job look like? And we go through each little step. How is it? decorated what do you look like what wow. and so we go through and then we can even go as far as looking at design and like and I just help them picture it in their head so that then they can really get behind their goal setting because if they can't picture how to get to there then it's just gonna flop and so lots of times I think they just see adults that have it together like well I'm never going to get there and instead they don't know all the hard work that it took to get there right so oh good that's going to stay with me a while you know there are people in my life I can think of right now that are just naturally very good at that like they have an idea of how they want their life to look and they are so um methodical in a freeway about how how to get there that is really really good well I talked to them about um like before they make a bad decision. So like, they'll be like, miss, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a party this weekend at my mom's house. And I'm like, okay, well, let's think about that. So their bad, some of their bad decisions took five or six bad decisions to get to one bad decision. <laughs> and right. Let's a couple of those because it's not just one bad decision that got you arrested. It's a lot right. of bad decisions that, right. right. <laughs> face. And so we kind of unpack the whole, okay, let's do it in the opposite direction. So if mm-hmm. we're going to do what this view of this life you're wanting, because a lot of them are traumatized, abused, there's so much stuff. So they don't ever see it as a possibility to have a happy middle-class life. They don't even view that as a possibility. So right. for, for me to say that is a absolute possibility and we can make it happen, but this is how we can get there. Mm-hmm. The process is one decision leads to another good decision, leads to this decision. And then they're like, oh, okay. And so 
But so much of art and creativity, you're really only looking at a finished product. And so they're, you know, coming to school and they're seeing your finished product and you're saying, yes, but it's composed of this, this, and this, and this. It's so good. And also watch me sometimes because I'll um, pull up something or print it or, and I'm like, and this came from the dollar store. And so I like, (laughs) I'm like so much, uh, I do stuff cheap. And so, um, and I'm a big thrifter. And so they'll be like, man, you do, you can make something out of nothing better than anybody. I know it's, (laughs) I'm a like Poshmark is, I love it because you can buy super cheap clothes. And so, um, and I have to look nice a ton. And so, yes, I buy pretty much everything. I buy a lot of stuff secondhand. So, uh, um, okay. So what are, let's switch gears a little bit. What are things like you, Annie, you as an artist, you as a creator, what are things that stir your inner artist? What are things that like romance your inner artist? What do you do for yourself to get into creative space? Oh, that's good. Uh, I'm a music girl. Mm-hmm. I have to have a certain, I like to go outside and I have to have quiet times and listen to really good music. And then um, I'm usually pretty good, but I have, it comes in waves. It's like sometimes I'll be super duper creative and I can crank stuff out. And then other times it's more forced. Um, like I told you in our previous recording, I have a ginormous white canvas hanging in my house that's been hanging there for like six months. Yeah. And I'm happy with it hanging there. And it's until I feel moved to add things to it. But um, I haven't added anything to it yet. But yeah, I have to be outside alone usually. And I listen to really good music. Um, it's, it's usually my best. Yeah, those are all the ways that I date myself too. Yeah. <laughs> You just got to take yourself on a date every now and then. (laughs) I need quiet time because I'm actually an introvert. And then me too. Yeah. I'm new to Apple music and I'm obsessed with it because I can learn all these new people. And then I'm, I get real excited (laughs) about new musicians. You're a beautiful musician too, Annie. You have a really beautiful voice. Okay, so so th- so those are the ways that you kind of you know romance yourself into creating. What are the things that shut you, Annie, down as an artist? What are the things that make you? My kids fussing at me all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmed. Like, do something that's outside my natural order. So, like, being a disciplinarian all day, or oh, that's good. Yeah, doing stuff that's outside my normal, um, natural self is stuff that shuts me down for sure. Yeah. One from one of mine, and we touched on it a little bit earlier is kind of looking at that, that product and then judging it too soon, like criticizing it too early. So like I might, I mean, it's different because of, but, but comparing my beginning work to someone else's final draft is, I mean, a creativity killer every single time. Um, I'm just, I've, I've discovered that I'm not near gentle enough with my inner artist. And so for me, it's very important to treat her like the little girl that she is, you know, just being very kind and gentle and patient and loving. Yes. And when I went to therapy a few years ago for some issues and I remember her teaching me to picture myself as a child and how she walked you through, how old are you? What did you look like? Where were you? And picture myself as an adult and going to that child and soothing her. And what does that look like? And speaking truth to her. And, um, it was super freeing for me because it helped me understand. I don't know. It was this really, I'm a visual, obviously person. I pray in pictures. I, um, I would, I just would much rather do pretty much everything in pictures. So it was this very freeing thing for me to go to me as a child and tell her things and to soothe her and to hug her and to, and so, um, if you're dealing with trauma from those things, I think it would be, I think it's a great idea, but the, um, there's, I think it's, I don't remember the guy who said it, but it was don't compare, you're beginning to someone else's middle. Mm, mm-hmm. because 
during two completely different places. It's a huge quote I have in all my classrooms because all my students, you know, they're in different spaces of their healing and of their processes. And so I think that's really important because you don't know where people are at. Right. So to go back a little bit, you said something that intrigued me and I, um, I want you to talk more a little bit about it. You talked about how there are times that there's this great outpouring of creativity and then there are times that you're really kind of having to draw it up, draw it up, draw it up. Can you talk about how you feel like how you treat both instances? Like what, what is, what do those both instances mean to you? Do they mean anything? Does it matter? Totally. Well, I think if you, for creativity, if you are like having to push through creativity, like if you are a writer, for instance, and you are having to produce, then you're having to push through. And that is not always comfortable. Right. So like in me going back to school right now, I'm sometimes I got nothing left in my well and I'm having to push through. And so there are certain Pandora channels that I put in my ear and just crank through. And I'm really weird. Like I'll find, I'll have to stand up and I kind of move around while I'm creating. And so that's when I'm dry. But when I'm on my jam and I'm really flowing (laughs) and I'm having 50 projects going at one time and my house is completely in uproar and I'll stay up till like 2 a.m., And my husband is like, you are insane. And I'll start cleaning out everything and redecorating everything. (laughs) So when I'm on fire, I'm really on fire and I stay up super late. But when I'm forcing it, I have to be more disciplined, which is really not my strong suit. Um, And I'm really ADD. So I have to, and knowing that about myself, I have to like clear the slate. So if I'm trying to force it, I have to like tidy up the house, which I know sounds totally cheesy, but if I do that, then it's not a distraction for me. It doesn't bother me then. Or I have to do it. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense for me too. to have an orderly space around me kind of frees me up to like, okay, what now, you know, what does God have for me? Yes. And like, I have to listen to music with no words, but that's really chill And I have to, um, there's certain, like, I don't know, I have to really clear certain things so that then it kind of quiets my mind so that I can create. So, yeah. Um, Does this matter? Does our creativity matter? I mean, is this important in the heavenly realms? Like living our lives, their eternal significance Is creativity important? It doesn't matter. I don't think on the surface level, no. I don't think having a well-decorated house or a cute outfit matters. Absolutely not. I think the process does. I think through the process, when I am quiet and then the Holy Spirit tells me all kinds of amazing things and I can hear, oh, this is what's going on with this person or this is what's happening with my child. And I'm, I feel like he reveals so much more to me when I'm creating than when I'm not. So yes, I feel like that piece matters. The outcome can be beautiful. It doesn't matter. That that part is irrelevant Mm -hmm. I love the freedom in that. Yeah, I do think making something beautiful out of nothing is what, like, that's God. That's, that's who he is. I mean, he's, that is beautiful and that is godly, but I don't think it matters if you're creative, like if you are insanely creative or not insanely creative or that doesn't matter in the heavenly realm, but I think being vulnerable and open to yourself and to the Holy spirit is important. Yeah, that's so good. I, um, I've been reading a lot of Brian Zond lately. So these thoughts that I'm about to say aren't aren't mine, but they have changed so much of my thinking. But I think, um, one of the things that he says is that as a church, we've put so much emphasis on 
um, Christianity being true and good that we have kind of forgotten to really see it being beautiful. So we, you know, we're trying to convince people that it's true with our apologetics and we're trying to convince people that it's good with our ethics and we're kind of bashing people over the head with it's true and good. It's true and good. And really it's beautiful too. And what beauty does is it allures people and it captivates people in a way that truth might not convince. And so if we could just kind of return to the beauty of the gospel, um, we might bring way more people along with us as we, as we do Yeah. And so creativity, I think it's the way that God romances us. I think that we're in, when we are in a creative lane, he is, he's romancing us. And then that output is kind of how we romance others. And so so good. Yeah. I love, so, um, I like to create a space that welcomes people. So my, they call my classroom, the black hole because kids (laughs) don't want to leave and I get in trouble for it because they, like you need to close the room. And so like two weeks ago, one of the kids was sick and um, they opened my room and the whole room is full of kids and I wasn't even there. And so I think it's because I created a space that's comfortable for them and that they, it's pretty and makes them happy. And so I absolutely agree with making something beautiful. Therefore you can share with them Right. The truth and the love and because you have made them comfortable. It's kind of like filling that first order hierarchy of needs kind of thing. Right. But then you've made them comfortable. You've filled all of that void and you've intrigued them with that beautiful thing. So now you can get to the heart of the matter. So anyway. Yes. Well, I just love the way you you take this on and you make it a part of your everyday. I get to watch you raise your sons and I love um, the way that you make art and creativity not about grandstanding, not about influence. It's not about gaining attention. Um, you know, I, I think that you create a very nurturing environment around creativity. I mean, you know, what... What if we said to our own kids, you know, try it and see what happens instead yeah. of, you know, becoming too, you know, too critical too early. And then people are never calling themselves artists at all. I just feel like you're creating such a space for the young people in your lives to experiment and try and think and be and be free. And I just thank you for that, how you're shaping um, younger generations in ways that they can know themselves better and eventually know their God better because of it. It's really, really, really important. Thanks. Um, well, thank you for sharing your heart and being a mentor to me in this area. I think that, um, you know, using our strengths to love people around us is really kind of what we're here for. It's really the whole point and you do it beautifully, sister. Thank you, mama. You're fantastic. Matthew 5.16 In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the verse inspiring Vanaman Designs as they make original handcrafted wooden signs that are perfect for your home or any space where you want to be inspired. And I should know. I needed a few updated Christmas decorations because I was tired of the 90% off after holiday leftovers. I wanted something special that my kids would recognize as ours. So I bought far more than I intended because I simply couldn't resist. And those signs were up before Halloween. I'm shameless. Vanaman Designs signs encourage faith, love, and family, and they are inspired by the Word of God. That's Vanaman Designs, V-A-N-N-A-M-A-N. Find them on Instagram and Facebook. You'll love what they have to offer. best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions.
Yes, we are. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Listen, we're in sock. What do you call this? A sock monkey? Uh-huh. We're in sock monkey onesies. We are. We're in a fancy, ones. A fancy hotel. Mm-hmm. Per tradition. Per tradition. And life has been coming fast. We've needed this night for a long time. Amen. So, one of the things, we never disagree, but one of the things that you and I can disagree pretty quickly on is the, the fact that you are an artist. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed we can. Um, you need this episode really bad. I, I because needed, like, all the episodes, but definitely the last few. Well, I think that being an artist is just looking at something, saying, hey, I think this might work. I'm going to try it. But one thing that came up in the episode is um, all of these ways to kind of point to your inner artist. And so, you know, you've heard me give this like, you know, giftings talk a million times to audiences of if you haven't done it in a while, it makes you grumpy. You know, what's what's that thing? And I actually mention you in said talk because if you have not hosted in a while, it makes you grumpy. Um, So... I think another way that Annie brought up that I thought was so good was picture your life in 15 years and how do you want it to look and the steps that you take to get there, that's your art. Like I I thought that was a really neat way to look at that. And then, um, okay. So the, another example is we had a friend and we were in our young twenties and they had in New York city, an internship at VH1. And all of us were kind of sitting around a table. He was supposed to show up for dinner. He kept not showing up, not showing up. We changed locations. He keeps not showing up. And so we're feeling bad for him because it's a Friday night and he's still at work at 11, 12, 1, 2. And then we realized he's in hog heaven because he's doing what he absolutely loves until 3 a.m. So here's my question to you, Beef. The non-artist. Okay. Heavy air quote, non-artist. What would you stay up until 3 a.m. to do? Not much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. True sleep is very valuable these days. Yes. Okay. So I really do like if I'm having a hard time sleeping or just wanting to like clear my mind of things that are stressful to me, I think about... um, Events like you kind of touched on before, like just creating events, usually at our church. Um, and I'm sure the reason why this is coming to mind right now is that we just had one this morning at our church. I know you were so you were telling me about it because we're in our hotel room in our onesies, and you're telling me about this event, and I'm thinking I need to push record right now <laughs> because the details of this event mm. were astonishingly beautiful. Mm, Go ahead. So nice. So it's the Methodist Children Home, which is the agency through which we foster, but um, they do a lot of incredible work and serve a lot of um, populations other than foster families. And so today our church hosted a party for two of their populations. One of them was uh, grandparents who are raising their grandkids and then other families that are just um, really struggling to keep their family together and then are maybe right on the line of being able to do that. And so Methodist goes in and, and does parenting classes and um, just teaches them all sorts of life skills that they need to be able to keep their families healthy and together. And so we just they just asked to use our church for space for a party, a Christmas party for them. And it was just really Truly, like I really did stay up late thinking about like how to get people involved through my church and how to make sure that the the women that came to the party today and the kids that came to the party today were engaged and just trying to think through like, you know, for the volunteers, like trying to think of like opportunities for people that are really kid people, you know, to come and they could come to the party and sit with families and help, you know, hold babies while moms are getting food plates or having opportunities for other people that that's just not their comfort zone, having them, they could come up later and help clean up and help load cars because it's just the intimacy is not comfortable for them, but they want to, like, be worker bees. Um, Or even, like, the way that our church, like, bought gifts for the families. You know, some people want to buy kids toys and want to spoil them with the fanciest Barbie that they can find because that's pretty and fun and and gives them joy and other people think that's frivolous and want to buy these parents you know personal hygiene products and cleaning supplies um, that they really need for their home because that is what delights them and that's the way that they can serve so 
I mean, that's the way. I don't, I don't think that's artistry, but that is definitely <laughs> like something that I would spend time thinking about just how to like get people to kind of find people's um, love language and, and use it to do something beautiful. Love it. I can't believe you don't call that art. <laughs> and then, and then you set the tone. So Annie was talking about in the episode her classroom. Her her classroom <clears throat> offers this space for people to come and just be. If the space wasn't available, and if they didn't feel loved through all of these people come and serving them in their unique way that you empowered them to do, Thank you. would you get those beautiful details right. that you were able to share with me across the table? Right. It's just like creating space for God to show up and take it the extra step that you never could have dreamed about. So. Absolutely, but you have to be open to do that. And that yes. that's the art right there, is that vulnerability and that open space. What about you? I will stay up until three. <laughs> I will absolutely stay up until three editing a conversation. It is my absolute delight to, number one, have a conversation with somebody where there's like energy flowing and ideas exchanging and yes. heart to heart, mind to mind. Let's solve the world's problems. It is your jam. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. But to then relay that exact same energy in a conversation to a third party who mm -hmm. was not there. Mm -hmm. So it, mm -hmm. it's a hard thing because um, you might share an inside joke, you might take an unnecessary tangent, but in order to keep the energy between the two of you accessible to a mm -hmm. third party, it requires editing. And I absolutely love trying to take what happened between these two people and relaying it to an audience, and I would do it all night. I love that. It's like making it like from 2D on a, <laughs> something that you listen to to 3D that it reaches out of the phone or whatever you're listening to the podcast on. Yes, I love that. Okay, tell me, um, because when I first asked you this question, you had an easier answer for you. I, I kind of made you talk about the Methodist That's Children's Hope thing. But it's tell me true. the easier okay, answer so for you, 3 a.m. The truthful answer that's dorky is that I love to work with a gifted associate at my law firm who has researched something really well and put an argument down on paper. Um, the strategy's been decided, so it's just like a long brief, and then I can take it and reorganize it and restructure it and find ways to... Um, you know, diagram out arguments um, just to polish it and make it something that I think is going to be really compelling and there's no paintbrush or marker involved in the artistry, but I really <laughs> secretly love it. Well, so all of the questions that I got regarding this topic were what, how do you find your purpose in life? How do you find your purpose in life? I mean, I'm, I mean, maybe stated different ways, but that was the question from every, that Every single email that I got was addressing that topic. How do you find your purpose in life? And so I think that what would you stay up until 3 a.m. for? Yeah, that's good. Is a good little pointer, yeah. right? Yeah, it's good. In your Methodist Children's Home answer, you're acknowledging that it all looks different. So I'd like for you to embrace that yourself, Beefy. Thank you, Beefy. <laughs> Love you. Love you. I've never met anyone like Mary. Well, technically, I've never met Mary. You see we're internet friends, but don't let that fool you. This internet connection runs deep. Mary is so many things all at the same time. With one sentence, she can make me laugh, cry, think, and deeply, deeply feel. There's just something about Mary. You'll see. I've come to think of creativity as breathing life into something. The analogy fits me more than I'm comfortable with, because I'm notoriously terrible at controlling my breath. When I exercise, it comes in great heaves and gales, and if I'm very frightened, it becomes quick, but so shallow, it's almost ineffective. Recently, I watched a baking show with my husband, and I studied with envy a contestant who was using glass-blowing equipment to form beautiful balls of sugar to go on top of cakes like snow globes. The combination of power and control required, that style of creativity can write novels or sing operas. But while I'm still working on the basics of controlling the flow of my creative breath, I know that for me to survive, it needs to keep going. One way or another, fits and starts, heaves and gales, I need to exhale. If everything is all inhale, all input, 
all gasps of alarm or outrage, or even of delight and awe, with no giving back, no exhale, I would die, just as surely as if I'd never inhaled in the first place. I hope you are able to spend some time exhaling, creating, giving back this winter. It's a perfect time to breathe. to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily Dear Heavenly Father Thank you so much for making us in your image, for breathing life into us. Let your life-giving breath generate creative power in us, God. Infuse us with your nature. Oh, creating one, let your creative power surge through us and pour out ideas and insight and wisdom and skill and craftsmanship so that your light shine bright in us. Creative vessels for your good works, God. Teach us to steward well what you have entrusted to us. Help us to quit looking side to side as we try to decide how we're gifted or how well you have gifted us. Help us to quit telling you things about ourselves and help us to listen for you to tell us about what you have created instead. Help us to not bury what you have given us. Help us to lean into your gentleness and kindness that we might borrow it from you in order to create with freedom a shining light. May our whole life magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Annie Niedecken, Kristen Kelly. Thank you also to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chan Redfield for music. Thank you to Mary Beth Bishop for her beautiful writing and also Bannerman Designs. Send us your questions at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully and Facebook at Allison M. Sullivan. Don't forget to like and review. For more of Mary's writing, go to madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com and be sure to catch the mini episode for extras.